everybody, it's time to roll into the creator's corner. I think I got to work on that up. Oh, opening a little bit, right? It's still Just new. We'll get there eventually. Ah, uh, yeah, I know. This is what? I think the fifth, fifth one of these, something like that? Yeah. Is it? First. Yep. We've done four. Yeah, fifth, technically. The, I don't think we yeah. started numbering them until number two, but I retroactively yeah. <laughs> numbered the first one as one. But yeah, no, five. Big five. And these are a lot different release cycle than our uh, than the main show because we record those literally months in advance before release. And these are literally days in advance before release. Less than a week. Uh, right now it's Friday. The we- the, and we're going to start releasing these on Wednesday. So much quicker release cycle. I think we'll be able to, here in the not-so-distant future, at least get a, a few in the bag so that we're not on top of the day. <laughs> No, no, keep the mystery alive. Well, we certainly at least want to be flexible enough, though, that we can address new books when they come out. So, Oh, absolutely. Like, we released those four all about one book. I promise you we won't do that again until the next book. <laughs> Which I think is Impossible Lands is coming December. But I'm really excited for that. I hear a lot of people aren't, but I'm super excited You are for sadly that. mistaken, sir. There is something coming out that the Pathfinder universe is extremely excited about. And I believe it's out in September. Kingmaker? Yep. <laughs> I know it's an adventure path, but it also has a ton of rules people have been chomping at the bit for. I should probably plan to get a hold of that and, and do a little thumb through, at least on the mechanics of it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'll pick up Kingmaker, and I tell you right now, I will never run the adventure. <laughs> no, no, I like, the, I like the kingdom building mechanics for, you know, back to the point of the show kind of broadly is... How do you integrate this stuff into your regular game? And that's a lot of cool fodder for just taking the bits and pieces you like and get rid of the pieces that you don't care about or your players don't care about. Yep. Customization, baby. Today, we're going to be doing a little bit of a PSA for all of you just because in conversations that we've been having, we have certainly noticed between all of the games we run and games we listen to on other podcasts and stuff that we're familiar with, we have really noticed that consumables are incredibly underutilized and they are cheap and they can make a huge difference. They can save your character's life sometimes. And the the biggest thing about them is, is most people just don't even know. They, they, they have no idea. And it, it's sort of just, it's no one's fault, but it's the direction the hobby has evolved in. Right. I remember the first time I played a tabletop RPG, just kind of skimming. I never actually got to the play portion of it, but it was a game called Jovian Chronicles. And there was no uh, type of archives of Nethys or anything. And even though this was in the age of the internet, I'm, I'm a little younger than Christian. <laughs> uh, and even though there was the internet, there wasn't like an online core rule book or anything for it. If I wanted to learn about the character, I had to crack that book and make notes as I went and put in bookmarks and stuff and just kind of digest the content. And for better or for worse, that is no longer the case. Oh, no. Uh, you know, so many people, they, they craft their characters either in Foundry or off of Pathbuilder, and they research them off of Archives of Nethys. I mean, I, I know tons of players, they don't even own a book. They don't own a PDF. They all of this, all of their resources are from the the things I just mentioned. And while they're certainly able to get you going, it's it's kind of a slog to go through and look at everything available to you. 
Yeah, it ends up leading to, for good or ill, uh, a gap in system knowledge uh, for a couple reasons. And one of those is, you know, you don't get that association with the item, with the book, with the thing you're talking about. So it's not like ingrained in your memory from the time you first read it and got excited about the item. And the second is, and this is not a dig at AON or PF2Easy or anything, browsing for items on those is an absolute slog. Like it's better now with weapons and stuff because you can look by the traits and things and you can find a weapon you like. That's actually really great. But recently we did a high level game and I was trying to find some interesting consumables to bring with me. And it took me a solid two or three hours just clicking through links, waiting for the page to load, understanding what it was, making a note, deciding that's not what I want, and doing that for everything from, you know, like a fifth level talisman up to like a tenth level talisman takes a long time. And not a lot of people are going to do that unless they're, you know, like I was in that situation, specifically looking for something neat. I just notice it across the board. And just like you said, it's, you know, the those websites are are great and they help bring people into the hobby. Uh, I think they're absolutely fantastic resources. But, you know, you and I have already mentioned it before that, you know, just the community itself needs to pay attention to how it's supporting the hobby. Because, you know, if you look around and you see, you know, 10 people and only one person has, you know, purchased stuff from the company, then that's that's not a great number that that doesn't help create more content that doesn't help, you know, bring out the things, you know, everyone's always waiting for the Inquisitor. Maybe it'll come to PF2. Maybe it won't. But, you know, it certainly will never come to it if you know, people aren't supporting the company. And I don't want people to get twisted like this is a grumpy back in my day, people did it the right way because it's not. It's just (laughs) noticing trends, right? Noticing how things are happening and trying to make sure that we can uh, adjust to the world through that lens, right? And making sure that people realize that those decisions that they're making not only impact their game, but impact the hobby as a whole. I mean, Paizo is really you know, honestly, really cool about that. I think they have something officially that like, oh, yeah, not everybody in your game group needs to own the books as long as you have access to them. Right. Oh, yeah. Which is great. And I'm not I'm not saying everybody go out and spend five hundred dollars on books. But the preponderance of people that the entirety of their view of the system is through Archives of Nethys or PF2Easy. Um, while that's great at democratizing the hobby, it's really bad at making sure that freelancers and writers and game designers get fed, which makes it really bad at us getting new content too oh yeah and like i said we're we're not here to browbeat anyone into doing stuff we're just actually wanting to bring some of this information to you so that maybe you might want to relook at some things that you thought wasn't for you you know uh, a great example secrets of magic there is one of my favorite talismans in the entire game came in this and it is a fourth level item it is called the dragon bone arrowhead so the Dragonbone Arrowhead, it is a talisman, it's fourth level, and you affix it to a melee weapon or a ranged weapon with the thrown trait. It is one action to activate it, an interact action, and you do have to be an expert with the weapon. So this is kind of something specifically designed for fighters and martial characters because they get that very early. This is clearly not for spellcasters. And... What it does is it allows it gives your weapon the throne trade at 20 feet. So if you're a barbarian with a great sword and there's a flying enemy and you can't reach it, 
You like, I'm going to activate this. And if it's 40 feet away, yeah, you can make that. You can use power attack and you can huck that weapon at it. And after the attack hit or miss, it returns to your hand. Now, I know just having that once isn't, you know, the end all be all of everything. But having that option can be huge. I mean, just monstrous. Yeah. uh, Imagine how many times you've been in a game and your entire party is melee and the thing starts to fly. and. The GM, if they're cool, is going to make it get into range against you every once in a while. But what, what if the GM wasn't going to do that? And what are you going to do about it? Okay, well, I'm going to throw my sword. Well, it's going to be a minus two because it's improvised. Okay, well. And if it hits, it'll deal 1d4 damage. <laughs> right, exactly. So <laughs> why not have something like this, which is a 20 gold item that literally anybody can spend 10 minutes to affix to a weapon at the beginning of the day? And you can just hold on to it, right? And you just. You don't need to use it. I mean, I've got a lot of items like this that aren't even necessarily from new books. Uh, the effervescent ampule gives you water walk until the end of your next turn. Let you walk right across a river. It'll let it allow you to walk over a pressure plate and not trigger it. It's super neat. You put it on your armor and you can essentially, you got the fizzy bubble drink from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. A classic. Fizzy lifting drink. Uh, yep. Lots of stuff. And that's, I think that's a level two uh, talisman. Uh, they've got a level one talisman that gives you a striking rune, essentially a plus one striking rune for the rest of your yes. turn. Yeah, those are awesome. It's a free activation. Level. It's four yeah. gold <laughs> and you get another damage die and it's a plus one to hit. Why doesn't everyone have one of these for like their first three levels until they can get striking runes? Doesn't make sense to me why you wouldn't. They're so cheap. And another one of my favorites is the monkey pin right out of the core rulebook, a talisman that you fix to armor. You activate it one action. It gives you a climb speed. When you activate the talisman, you use a climb action. If you succeed, you, you basically use your athletics to make a climb action. And if you succeed, you can move your full speed instead of the five feet on a success and 10 feet on a critical success. And you know, being able to climb up 25, 30 feet when you need to, again, is just vital. It's six gold. And, you know, if someone in your character is a crafter and takes the feats later where they can start making these things just to its base ability without additional feats modifying it, you know, for that six gold, you can make four of them. Absolutely. And this kind of touches on one of my favorite archetypes that I have some minor problems with, the talisman dabbler. It's really not meant to be part of a free archetype because of the way that the feat layout works. Because it's a second level dedication, but the first feat from it doesn't hit until level six. But just picking up the dedication allows you to craft talismans for free every day. You get to craft two talismans up to half your level, which means as soon as you have access to this dedication, you can start making things like the potency crystal and give your entire party or at least two members of your party the ability to deal a striking rune that day. You just get it for free. It's not like you have to. You get it during your preparations, takes 10 minutes, and then as you go through that feat tree, you can make up to six a day, and then you can get the ability to to add multiples. And I see so many people just kind of poo-poo that archetype because it doesn't have a level four feat, so it doesn't make it suitable for free archetype. But it is good enough just getting those two talismans. Yeah, just having those those little items, especially at the low levels when they're so important. You know, at a higher level, you have so many tools at your disposal. But at low levels, I know you and I have both been there at various times where we've seen it like, oh, no. (laughs) The snap leaf activates as a reaction anytime you're falling. 
and it gives you Featherfall and Invisibility. That's useful all the way up to level 20 if you don't have a way to deal with that. And it's a level three talisman. That one's out of the Lost Omens character guide, is it not? The Snapleaf? Yeah, yeah. That's a fun one. One of the things I do enjoy is no matter what book they're making, they often try to include stuff that is handy for your game. It, it doesn't have to be, oh, I don't play in Galarian. I don't want that book. Obviously, the, the character guide had a lot of extras no matter where you play. So that one's probably not the best example. But no matter the book they're making, there's going to be rules and stuff in there that is useful for your game. Yeah, I have to admit, I'm I'm pretty sure that talismans are my favorite class of item in the entire game. I just love them because they are an item that literally anybody can use. You don't have to do anything special to attach them. Fulus are kind of in the same place for me because I have talisman Fulus. Uh, but they can absolutely turn the tide of battle for a relatively inexpensive item almost every time. And if you have somebody in your, your party that has talisman dabbler, they just get them. You just get them up to half your level. And yeah, there's some really cool 10th, 12th level talismans, but like all the way down at, you know, like five and six, you've got some really, really good stuff. Like Oily Button uh, actually can make Disarm useful by making things slippery and making Disarm more likely to hit, right? So if you want to, you, you know, you're, you know, you're coming up against some mage or, or a knight or something that they're known for this weapon or item that they wield, and it's going to behoove you to get it out of their hands. All right, let's go oily button. Let's yank that sucker out of their hands. Let's make it happen. It's a really cool way to add some versatility to uh, some kits that would normally be a little less versatile, like maybe a fighter. And I think it's a big meme that fighters just go up and beat things because there's a lot more to it, especially like an open hand fighter or a free hand fighter. But to be able to modify the way that you play just by adding, you know, a 30 gold item to your kit at a time where every time you pick up gold, you're picking up like 700 gold. Why not? There's no reason yeah. not to have them. Well, and it's so easy to help fill gaps of missing party members. And it's been designed that way so that, you know, you, you're not suffering as much. Secrets of Magic, it, it had so many great things for a lot of different classes. Clearly focused on magic, but I, that book introduced catalysts, and I absolutely love the catalysts. There's not a lot in there, and I'm really excited for the equipment book coming out in February, because I know they're supposed to have a ton of stuff and help build up some of these things. Hopefully, I think everyone's really hoping magical tattoos will become more prevalent with this book as well. But that's one of those things that I really want, because that was something I loved in 1E was was magical tattoos and the ability to craft a magical tattoo kind of like an item. Uh, one of the things I want to pick up on Infinite and do a review for with this channel is it's a book of magical tattoos that I think would be so cool to try to go over and see how useful they are. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. But uh, on the Catalyst, like, you know, there's, I for your Divine Casters, you know, there there's not a ton of combat spells and one of your first low-level spells, it's pretty decent spiritual weapon. There is a Catalyst just for spiritual weapon. The dazzling rosary it's a fourth level item well four plus because you can get stronger ones but what it does is when you cast spiritual weapon you use this catalyst it doesn't add to the action and whenever your uh weapon hits it makes the target dazzled so until the beginning of your next turn so when they go through their attack routine you know they have that 20 percent mischance and you know, as you and I are both DMs and DM a lot, it, I think players overlook that 20% mischance. You know, you've got to roll five or higher to hit because 
as a DM, I have seen it save players so many times. And Absolutely. And, and just to, to make sure that everybody realizes this dazzling rosary, it dazzles without a save. You just, nope, yep, now everything around you has concealment for the next round. Or, you know, until the beginning of your next turn. So it counts for their reactions and everything. It's great. That amazing, because you do have to critically hit with it. <laughs> the uh, Firestarter pellets are another one. I mean, every, every spellcaster that can get Fireball uses Fireball. Persistent damage is so strong in this game because it does have a tendency to just hang out for several rounds and it just it adds one action. So it makes your fireball casting of basically three actions. But anyone that fails the save and they take persistent fire damage, the fifth level one is one D six. And if they critically fail the save, it's two D six. And the, there's a 10th level one that's 2d6. And if they critically fail, it's 4d6. So and a 15th level one at 3d6 critically fail for 6d6. But that persistent damage is is no joke in Pathfinder. I mean, I think anyone that's played it completely understands it is one of the worst things to have. And if you go down with persistent damage, it's all hands on deck. Like, oh, my God, they're going to die very quickly if we don't do something. There's no way that I'm not going to drop absolutely everything if I'm a player and one of my companions goes down to dying. It's one of those things like they talk about in uh, in real world warfare. The casualty is not just about the person you hurt, but all the people that have to stop and help the person you hurt. Right? Yeah. It's a big deal. I'm an extra cruel DM when my characters go down. Yeah, I do their... I do their death saves privately so no one knows where they're at, because that's one of the things that always kind of bugged me is there was way too much planning on the player's part of, oh, we don't need to do anything right now. They're only at dying one. But when they don't know anymore, it it becomes way more urgent because people are like, oh, God, I <laughs> what, what do we do? Yeah. One of those other uh, spell catalysts that I, I really enjoyed uh, and envision using that Potentially, if I ever get around to making a prepared caster, the force tiles are really freaking cool. Because something that really struck me in 2E is all of the spells that make walls and things, whether it be wall of stone or wall of flame or something, they seem to be a little anemic. And something like wall of force just takes your wall of force and cranks the dial up to 11. It makes it taller. It makes it wider. It makes you take additional force damage. It's absolutely bonkers how much it improves wall of force from something that's like oh it's kind of cool to wow so it's not easy for something that's large to jump over it anymore they can't just hop over it 40 feet that's going to take a little work and if they fail they they got problems yeah and the force tiles are one of my favorite because you know i just for the most part i'm feeling like you're always wanting to use those if you cast wall of force you know maybe there's you know a couple times where you're just blocking a very small passageway but other than that, I feel like, yeah, if you're going to if you have wall of force, you would want a small collection of force tiles to keep with you. So there was a new another new uh, class of item that I think was released in Secrets of Magic. Correct me if I'm wrong. The uh, the spell hearts spell hearts. I would love to see more spell hearts. There's just not enough of them. They're so cool. Oh, yeah. No, I, I love them because they're they're basically a permanent talisman. Their effects definitely are so strongly geared towards spellcasters, but they do have ben benefits to putting them on armor that it it's not as big a deal. 
but they, they're a little tricky. They're not the most simplest of items because most of their effects uh, don't take place until after you've cast the cantrip that they're tied to. Like every spell heart has a cantrip that requires an attack roll associated with it. And when you make that attack roll with that cantrip, it then activates all of the abilities of the spell heart. So it it definitely can be a little bit of a trickier item, but not a ton. I just they require a little bit of reading. And once no trickier than building a psychic. Oh, God. Yes. (laughs) I haven't even done that yet. But when you get to once you do understand them, you're like, oh, these actually are a lot of fun to play with. (laughs) I kind of want to touch on one more thing. Uh, Maybe not one more thing. One more thing is probably bad. Every time I do that, we talk about like three more things. Uh, (laughs) But I do want to touch on something else that I discovered as a general consensus in the community. When I started doing research on this topic, when we decided to talk about this, I wanted to know, okay, well, what is the opinion? What are the things that, you know, the popular misconceptions we should probably try to address? And should we address our own uh, misconceptions that we may have based on the evidence? And one of the things I found as a common complaint of consumable items in 2E is that they are expensive. Specifically, uh, higher level talismans and scrolls and potions, especially potions. And and something that I kind of wanted to address, I think that's 100% by design for a very specific reason. If you tried to play a Pathfinder first edition game without a spellcaster, you are going to die. Pretty much period. Either, either you're going to have to have a spellcaster, you're going to have to have some marshal that has some weird thing like the iron caster nonsense that allowed them to get around the spellcasting. Something about 2E that really has stuck with me about absolutely loving it is that while we still have the idea of the typical four-character party, right? We have the fighter, rogue, wizard, druid, right? Is that it? Is that how it is? Cleric is the typical go-to. Cleric, maybe. Sure. (laughs) While we still have the prototypical party, you do not need to have that to succeed in this game. And one of the reasons you do not need to have that to succeed in this game is because there is such a wealth of consumable items and actions that you can use to replace those common rules in the game. Potions are more expensive than a wand in aggregate to do a specific effect because a wand requires either somebody that has the ability to do the thing or a skill check. You can just chug a potion. So you're either going to have to incur the cost in some mechanical reason, which is, you know, yanking the potion, chugging it, or the monetary association with it. But when you have a potion that allows your your fighter to fly, or a talisman that just lets them walk on water for an action without them having to prepare anything, or uh, a talisman that allows them to inflict somebody with fear immediately without them having to cast or have to be of a specific class, I think that's really powerful and really speaks to the amount of flexibility that has been built into the system because of decisions like that. You don't have to have a caster, and it's not going to kill you to not have a caster because there's always ways to mitigate it. Is it going to be easier if you have a caster? Sure, but you can absolutely get by with a party full of himbos, right? You can just have a bunch of barbarians, and you can, it'll be hard. You can make it happen, though. I was going to say, not only can you, I highly recommend trying it at least once. It's a good time. <laughs> Absolutely. Do like a do like a PFS scenario <laughs> with all barbarians. It's a load of fun. That's an interesting point you bring up. And I, I kind of understand why I don't see that side, because I honestly ignore the treasure guidelines completely. 
I OK, not completely. I do use them as sort of a baseline. But in my games, I give out at least easily two times the amount of gold that is recommended, if not more. But also there's a lot of things that come up because I feel like there is so much more to spend money on than what is in the game. You might come across someone and they need you know, they want you to help repair a place and that's going to cost money. If you want to buy a house, that's going to cost money. And I actually see Pathfinder 2 starting to go in that direction of where you're, wow, there's a lot of things I want to do. And some of these things are going to start getting expensive, especially with like Kingmaker coming out and building a kingdom. And you're like, yeah, the the wealth rules aren't going to cut it. I mean, you're going to be like, oh, I can have cool gear or I can have a kingdom. I can't have both. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out. But that's why I've never overly worried about it, too, because just on the DMing side, th- there's nothing the players can do that I can't easily work around or beat them down with attrition, but let them have fun because sometimes being a rich character is fun. And I, I, I get a little annoyed at the, oh, no, you must have this every time you play. And you're like, but what if I want to play a rich character? Or what if we find something, we come across this really cool idea and like, nope, this is what the wealth rules are and can't do it. So, I don't know. I, I'm kind of in agreement with you. I want to give things to my players that make it fun. And Pathfinder 2nd Edition, while we are talking about all these really, really cool items that you can get, none of them are broken, which is far cry from what you could say would happen a lot in 1E or 3.5, where you could have somebody like, oh, I found this item from this actual first party book that you've never read, but it allows me to insta-gib your dragon or something nonsensical like that. There were a lot of really niche, terribly unbalanced items in 1E, which I think kind of has made GMs gun shy nowadays about just giving people unfettered access to wealth and treasure. Well, I do like that the spacing between items in Pathfinder 2E is really awesome because I can give my players quite a bit of extra money, but there is no way they're buying a, you know, a greater striking rune super early. You know, their 12th level item, maybe they can get one at 10th level, but they're going to be spending that money on other stuff. And the difference between, you know, a striking rune and a greater striking rune is a lot of gold. It's not like it's, oh, we just have to save up a little and now we can do this. And quite frankly, it's it's not going to impact your game in a huge way. Right. Worst case scenario, if your uh, players get a striking rune too early. Wow, I guess all my uh, creatures have uh, two more hit die, essentially. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Even though there were very, very few consumables introduced in Dark Archives, they are some of my favorite. The Chimera Thread that allows you to stitch together two creatures and it takes this effect and makes it look like it's natural and the thread disintegrates and removes the seams and you can basically take this corpse and stitch it together and make it look like this monster and i to me that's just so much fun that like you know some ne'er-do-well is trying to scam this town and like you guys are infested with these and he brings out this bear thing that he happened to find this other creature to make it look like horrifying <laughs> and i just there's so much role-playing potential with that stuff I, I absolutely love it that was one that stuck out to me as being uh enabling you to do some major carny crap with your players and i am down for it i really like the idea of like a 
cabinet of curiosity type thing where you have this traveling huckster that's talking about these half wolf fairy hybrid things and trying to sell people uh, taxidermied fake animals. I, I think that's a really neat plot hook to start you going down more interesting directions potentially. And that's probably my favorite thing about Dark Archives is it's about 80% plot hook and 20% uh, mechanics. And I'm happy with that. Oh, yeah. Like, and my other favorite is the sampling ammunition. It does nothing for you. It does not help the players at all. What it does is when it hits something is it captures a portion of skin and blood and fur and scales and flesh. It's just to collect a sample and it drops this little glob of the sample. But it is such a fun role playing thing that, you know, you've been hired and I like, okay, there are these monsters out there. I need samples from these 10 different creatures, and here are your 10 sampling arrows, ammunition, what have you. Also, here's the formula to make more in case you screw up and you need to make more, and just putting that on the characters. I mean, it's such a fun, fun concept to run through and do an adventure like that. There is one mechanical benefit to this item that you might not be aware of, Christian. <gasps> What's that? And I'm so excited that you thought there wasn't a mechanical benefit. There is a feat for the Thaumaturge called Cursed Effigy that requires you to take a bit of flesh or hair or bone or something and put it in like a little effigy of them. And then they take a status penalty to any Thaumaturge DC-based effects that they have to save against. Awesome. Is that by individual or by species? By individual. Okay. So it'd have to be one of those things, like if you're using a bolt and you hit them with that thing, you're going to have to have somebody retrieve it so you can make your effigy. But it allows you to get it, even if you're not a melee character. Yeah, that's really cool. I did not know about that. I haven't read. I love the Thaumaturge, but I will. I don't know that I will ever really play one. My wife's really excited to play one. And, you know, I don't want to step on her toes in any way. So I'm just like, you know what? I have so many things that I'm already never going to get to play. You probably saw a bunch of the art I posted today in the Discord about characters in that. And they're all characters that are going to be iconics in my world of Chandara. But they're also characters that I want to play one day. And even though there's only six right now, I'll probably never get to play all of those six. <laughs> well, you know what? I think that probably wraps it up. I think we've done enough uh, yelling at people to get off our lawn. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't want people to come away like, wow, these guys are just, you know, they're jerks about this. And it, it's not about that. It's just about, you know, if you have a group and, you know, just checking out some of this stuff occasionally, you know, Paizo makes things so very affordable, not the core books in a sense that not that they're unaffordable, but I totally appreciate everyone has different budgetary constraints, but almost all of the standard non lost omen stuff, the PDFs you can pick up for $15. You can pick up the soft bounds for like 20 bucks. I mean, these are all very affordable things with you know, even if you just have to, to skip on your coffee a couple of times or, or stuff like that. So I, I don't think everyone needs to own every book. I know I do, and I'm certainly obsessive. And you know, this is, this is my hobby. <laughs> I have four books that I don't own, and it bothers me that I do not own those four yet. <laughs> we don't want people to get the impression that, like, you have to purchase all the books to be a real fan of the hobby. We just want people to understand that, you know, it is the livelihood of a lot of people, and it's the livelihood of a lot of people that make things that we all love by virtue of playing this game. It's something that we appreciate and we love. And if people don't buy books, whether it's the first-party books or third-party content, then the people that love to do it simply won't be able 
to live while doing it. So, you know, we all have to give up things we love. Let's make it so that they don't have to give up something that gives us so much joy. If you are in a position and you truly love the hobby, you know, support it where you can. Well, that's our soapbox that we're probably going to bring you every week until we stop doing the show is that support the people that make your hobby possible. Yes, very soon we, we are going to start reaching out to other content creators. It's you know, there, There's a lot of things to logistically line up, so it certainly won't be something we can do every single week, but we absolutely want to reach out to all of our friends in the industry and you know let them tell us, you know, it, like through Pathfinder Infinite, how, how did you create this? What, what went into creating it in case some of you might want to Think about making something for Pathfinder Infinite. How hard was it? What was your inspiration? The formatting, the editing. We, we want to get all of this information to you guys, and we are going to in the very near future. There's so many people out there that have great ideas, but are, are absolutely terrified by the concept of putting those ideas to paper and putting other people's uh, eyes on them and having them uh, available for the whole world to see and potentially ridicule. And that's one of those things that I would love to destigmatize. Well, we've done it again. We say we're going to leave, and then we talk for another three or four minutes. <laughs> well, everyone, that's going to be it for us this week. I'm Trevor. And I'm Christian. And we're really looking forward to you coming back next week and listening, coming by the Discord at wolfrintent.com slash Discord, checking out Beast Foundry at beastfoundry.com. We're just checking out our main uh, podcast role for intent uh one more quick bit of house cleaning we have created a secondary feed for this show it's custom feed if you want to use it you can it's just going to be rollforintent.com slash creators dash corner no apostrophes just that hyphen in there and it'll give you a feed of only these shows if that's what you want so until next time you all have a wonderful week